0: Well, good morning, everyone. So we're going to talk about Ezra 6. And I know driving over here, you're thinking, I just hope that the speaker speaks on Ezra 6. I've just been dying for a sermon from Ezra 6. And so you're going to have one today. Um, we're, uh, we're in this period of time, the post-exilic uh, period. And it takes a little digging around to get the gold out. But there's a lot of gold in there, and I was encouraged Personally, just with what I learned from the um, study that I did, not all of it will make it into the message, but um, just encourage you to look on your own as we go through. The way we're doing it is I'm doing the historical Ezra and Nehemiah, and then Don and Jim are doing more of the prophetic Uh, influences during those times so we are moving forward together but it's a little bouncing back and forth and uh, just big picture wise where it is that we are a good four centuries before Jesus that's where we are and we're a good thousand years after Moses so it's a it's a long stretch we're a good 500 years after David So uh, it's been a long time that the nation of Israel has been in existence. And then the group we're looking at just went through a really tough time because they were exiles in Babylon and had to do hundreds and hundreds of miles walk just to get to where they are to uh, start again. So Many of you in this room have moved to a new location, and you know how that is. It's a scramble till you get your life set up, and then there's a sort of pause where you think, I think we got it figured out, and then another series of events happens, and you realize you really don't have it figured out, and you're not living at home. And there are just challenges with it, so this is where that people is. Um, So, Michaela, if you want to put it up. Um, So... This is where we're starting, and let me pray for us, and um, and then we'll move forward. Lord, I thank you for your word. We would be in an entirely different situation trying to figure out how to follow you without the scriptures. And we're especially grateful for the scribes who diligently copied over the passages that we're going to read, who sat by themselves, um, working over, counting, there were ways that they... They counted the letters, they they made sure they didn't miss anything, and wondered often, was this worth all the effort I'm putting into? And it is the way you preserve the scriptures throughout the centuries, for many, many centuries. Individual people were just sitting and writing so that we would have this word. I pray that your spirit would move, that you would touch each person in this room, that we would come closer to you, Lord, that our hearts would be open, that uh, we would draw closer if we do know you. And then if you're here today and someone doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that um, they would be drawn to you to put their faith in you, Lord. You're a great God. You're patient and loving. And you are always ready for us to come to you. In Jesus' name, amen all right so first concept up you have some um this is darius the king and uh he has issued this decree and a search was made so you may um the last time i was talking there was a delay they got started and then they got stopped there was opposition so they stopped they stopped for a while 16 18 years and and then then they're kind of getting ready to go again and um opposition comes up and says, hey, they, these people shouldn't be doing so. There's an appeal to the government to stop them. So then Darius, who's the king at the time, issues a decree, and the search was made. And so um, so what he does is he they look, and, and they were organized. They had basically um, libraries where they guarded all of the documents that were written, which Is helpful uh, because he's looking back several decades to King Cyrus and it says in the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices. Let the foundations be firmly laid and its height 60 cubits, width 60 cubits. With three rows of heavy stone and one row of new timber, let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. And so you have here Uh, One king willing to go with what another king had said earlier, so honoring a governmental promise, which is a big deal. He could have ignored it. Um, Historians say that Darius, he looks pretty good in these scriptures. I don't know that he's as good as he looks. It seems as if he got his job by murdering the guy that was doing it before him. And if you remember when I spoke a couple weeks ago, he was attacking the Greeks, and that's how our whole legend of the marathon came. So the Greeks probably didn't like him very much, that he would start wars way away from home, try to, he was trying to take over. And his way of doing it, and they found more and more documents from his, was his way of doing it was he'd take over, but then he would allow people to worship as they wanted. And he would just ask that they would pray for he and his sons, so this was his method of governing. So we may don't want to read too much into his spirit in it. He was just, this was his prudent way of going about things. Was This is the way that he kept um, the track of his empire. So he honors this thing, this promise. And it's interesting for us just to think, um, how do we interact with government? In Romans 13 talks about that we need to remember there's no authority other uh uh, except from god and render taxes to whom taxes are due so we are supposed to respect government but we're not the government and we're in a unique spot right where we are right now we are in a government building and uh we've been here since june just this morning, this was our technically our last Sunday under contract, so none of you were thinking about this, but I was thinking about it when I showed up today. The contract runs out today, or this week, but just this morning, I got the contract for the next 12 months, so that's a big deal. We can be in this space for the next 12 months, and I'm grateful, really grateful, because I've been trying to get this settled for... A couple weeks and leaving it till the last Sunday wasn't my plan. But it's just the way it worked out. But the government has been really gracious to us. I mean, we're allowed to use this place basically as our own. They're letting us come in and set up on Fridays. We're using a lot of space here for very little. But we're working with the government. And then on our property, we've also learned some things. You just be impatient and working with the government. We've had two meetings. One, this big zoning, big um, planning meeting. Uh, to get permission over there, and then we had another meeting with the school board just to get the road, and I would say they've both been really positive experiences. The government's doing its job of saying, okay, how is the fact that the church is going to be meeting and doing a road going to impact the school? Their job is to worry about the safety of the students and and the property, and they did ask those questions, but when they were all done, they they just were willing to move on with it not drag it out in bureaucracy which they could have done for months and years but they didn't Um, they looked around and one board member said do we need to talk more about this because if not it would really help these guys if we went ahead and made a decision And they seconded it, and they made a decision right there. So now we're just waiting for the surveying to be finished, and a whole bunch of things can start to kick in, into place. So the dimensions of this uh, building that that becomes the temple is 60 cubits. So a cubit was elbow to fingertip, about 18 inches. And just for sake of reference, um, I think from that wall to that wall is almost that distance. It's about 90 feet. So you could imagine the temple kind of turned this way, and you'd, you'd have basically the dimensions of the temple in this room. You'll notice that the government sets the dimensions. He says how big it's going to be, and, and they're going to work within it. And I think uh, anybody leading a church who got to this passage, who was where we were, would think this is going to be the perfect Sunday to talk about the building campaign, right? The only thing is, we're not doing a building campaign. We're not. We have the money. It's sitting in the bank. So there's a lot to celebrate. You know, this would be like, just think where we would be otherwise. I mean, we're about a congregation of 250 on a Sunday. Now, I know a lot of people, particularly this week, are out with the flu and stuff and sickness, but generally that's who's here. Any other group, We would be like with one of those charts with the thermometer and like, you know, going around and getting commitments and stuff like that. Think of where we could be. Instead, the money's in the bank. We're waiting for the survey and the architectural drawings will start coming out. And so um, all we need to do is is diligently pray and seek the Lord for wisdom in in what we do. But just so you guys have an idea, the same pictures of like a timber frame structure that we put up back in the spring, that's still plan A. And it's about the size of this room. So um, there's a lot of space in here we're actually not using. We all fit in this room, plus probably 100 more if we were turned that way. Because that's not used, It's is full of tables. That's not really used, and there's a lot of dead space. So just imagine it's turned that way. Imagine um, timber frame going up, you know, 20 plus feet above us. We're going to do a lot of natural light. Remember I said um, if you want to go to a place where there are fluorescent lights so you can get a good migraine, you're going to have to go somewhere else because they're just not going to be in there. You're not going to be in there. you have to bring your own fluorescent light if you want to sit under it. But it's going to be natural light, wood and stone, and That's what our plan is. Um, We'll be able to show you those plans, hopefully in in very short order, because the architect is drawing those out. But we we get to build a place right over there through that window. Some of you can see where it's going to be through the woods. It's a very exciting time for us, and we want to get a proper focus on it. So this talking about the temple is going to help us do that, get a biblical perspective on how we look at a building. That's what I'm hoping is going to come out of this time. So um, so that happens with these guys back 2,500-plus years ago to get to their story. Um, so after this, you remember some of the resistance was put by some of the leaders, and this was one of them that was uh, kind of resisting it. And it's, um, it says then, and this is the guy who was uh, – kind of pushing to slow down the work. He says then to Tenai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosnai and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So after the little part I read you, you'll notice I skipped about ten verses, but what Darius says is um, you guys, and particularly this guy, he said stay far away from there. In other words, stop bothering them. And then the next little paragraph says, and I want you to take money out of the treasury and pay for it. So this probably didn't sit well with these couple of guys because they had just made a case to the king that you got to stop this because they're going to set up uh, a separate country and they're going to not pay taxes anymore and you need to watch out. And instead it gets flipped and, and Darius says, as a matter of fact, you stop bothering them. And that money that you're collecting, for me, use it to pay for it. So now the government is paying for it. It's just amazing how God is moving in this. And to their credit, they, these guys, it says, um, so he said they did. They diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So they had to bite their tongues, um, stay away. Imagine what that was like. And imagine the interaction between the Jewish leaders and this governor, when he's giving them their money, right? Hopefully they were wise enough not to rub it in. They just smiled and moved on. But it must have been awkward. Think about it. Um, so it says, so the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. Now I mentioned um, there's a different way of telling history here because at this moment Artaxerxes is not king. Darius says He comes after. But what I believe that Ezra is trying to show is over a long period of time all the Persian kings were helpful in this because the chapter before uh, five is um, it talks about Artaxerxes. So chronologically we don't tell stories that way. We're very chronological in how we tell stories. He tells it a little bit more in an overarching theme, and that's why you get kings that aren't there yet showing up. So uh, they prophesied, um, and I, they're going to, Don and Jim are going to talk more about Zechariah, and Jim's already taught on Haggai. So I thought if they benefited under the prophesying of Haggai, I thought I would throw a few words from Haggai and out to us and see if we would benefit from being under the the teaching of of Haggai, prophesying of Haggai. So here's a couple things he said. He said, you're earning wages to put into bags with holes in it. I don't know how many of you have retirement accounts, but if you've looked at it since a year ago, I don't know what phrase you would use, but bag with holes seems like a pretty good (laughs) phrase, right? I don't know. Um, So... <clears throat> things have changed a lot, right? We're still, uh, we're much more a modern and that we um, we don't put any of our trust in investments anymore, right? Well, we do, you know, so it's, it's wise to save, but the God's pointing out you can't really lean on that, and um, you can't do the seven rule of 72 and think you're set, you know, as you look at your investments. We're not Set by our investments. Again, it's wise stewardship, but it's not what sustains us. Haggai also says to him, The Lord says, I am with you always. I'm with you. And Jesus picks up on that. Do we really believe that God is with us in what we're doing? Or do we, as a church, as individuals, think this is something we're pretty much on our own for? We need the prophets to remind us of the truth of what's really going on. So, as diligent as we need to be, in um honoring government in being wise with our money with um building lives and careers the prophets remind us that that's not actually what's sustaining you it's a matter of perspective so this isn't the best story but this will help you help you um i heard the story of a a woman who um, was in her 60s and she lived by herself and uh out in arizona a lot of the houses are, are close and um during certain times of the year like especially when you're in that area, the weather's really good. And so there's a lot of windows open. You can hear your neighbors talking and uh, especially when the houses are close together. And she lived in one house, and next to her lived a guy in, the tw- in his 20s that was really cynical. And he would hear her praying all the time, and it used to drive him nuts. And so she was didn't have a lot of resources, and she, she would pray to the Lord to provide for her. So one day, he hear and they've argued, they've talked, and she just keeps being gracious, and he keeps um, shooting it down. He hears her praying that God would provide food for her because she was out. It was near the end of the month. So what he did was he went out and bought a bunch of groceries brought them to her door and walked away without her knowing. And then she ate them and then the window was open and she heard, she started praying thanks to the Lord. And he came over, stuck his face in the window and said, it wasn't God. It was me. And she said, oh no, it was God. He just had you pay for it and deliver it. (laughs) So it's a matter of perspective, right? Right. So we've got to have that godly perspective when we look at did we earn our career? There's a There's something going on There's two different things going on at all times with with what we call our life um, God is sustaining us and you can believe it or not You can believe that no no it's really the fact that I'm such a good investor that I'm sitting as pretty as I am. Um, or you could look at it as yeah I'm diligent, but there are limits to what I can do. It depends on the God on God. So uh, another thing Haggai said, you know, in comparison with the original temple, does this not look in your eyes as nothing? We need the prophets to remind us what really matters. Um, I remember when I was first a believer, Kirsten and I met in Chicago, and I went. And for seminary, did an internship in Venezuela, and I came back after a couple months, pretty excited about uh, pastoring a small church. And I didn't have a place to stay, so there was a professor that Kirsten knew, let me stay with him. And he was a nice guy, but he would talk, and, and he was really discouraging. He was kind of nice, but the more we talked. And one of the things he said was, if you spent your life starting a church of 200 people and did that, you would be absolutely wasting your life. I remember him saying that. I was just like, huh, Um, what's true? If we don't have the prophets to remind us what's true, you can buy into some thinking of the world, and we need the prophets to remind us what's real. And so they're honest. Uh, If you know prophets around you, they're blunt at times. And they say things like this, like, doesn't this look like nothing compared to what we used to do? So we're going to have that with our building. This area is like five or six thousand square feet. Our sanctuary where we used to meet was like fifteen thousand square feet. So no matter what we do, it's gonna look a lot less than what we had. So we're either gonna have eyes that look at it and go, Whew, man, this church has really gone downhill. Or we're gonna look at it like this is a gorgeous place to worship. And that's that's what we get to do. You know, I was reminded of um We have Kiram House, and we were there a month ago, and Johnny and Holly were um, on summer staff, I think the first or second year that we did it, and um, I think it was the summer you were pregnant, if I remember, and Johnny was working on the chapel, and built this chapel that's 12 by 16, cinder block chapel ronnie had had some visions for how to design it and there was a guy down there that built it that that built it for us he did all the block johnny came down i'll do the woodwork it's got curved windows with wooden shutters that open well we were in it four weeks ago and i had the rowdiest group of eighth grade kids i have ever spent time with from baltimore there and we're trying to do chapel and they're just bouncing everywhere And then this one kid that came in who had grown up in the neighborhood, gone to our one of our ministries since the age of six, now he's 21, he started leading worship and those kids got geared in and we are in this little thing, there were 30 of us packed into a 12 by 16 space. We have no electric in there, just candles sitting on wooden benches and it was timeless, it was absolutely timeless. Those kids were completely locked in, and I don't know how long we were there, but nobody wanted to leave. And so there is something to creating spaces where God is present, and we have a chance to see something differently on the perspective of God, and the prophets help us see what's real. What was real was those kids were worshiping. On a practical level, they'd think, okay, you were down there late November. You probably put a should have, should have put a heater in there. It's too tight. Those benches were uncomfortable. You could get all practical and miss the point that the Holy Spirit was present and moving, and we need the prophets to remind us. Um, This is still Haggai. He's saying to them, he says, as I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Egypt was a long time ago for these people, like a thousand years. So they're not thinking about, oh yeah, last week when we were in the desert eating manna. They're not thinking that. A thousand years. But God reminds us that even though our life has you know, our little span in it, we tie into a much bigger picture. And so when we take communion, we're tying all the way back to that first communion that Jesus did. And we're proceeding forward because if, if our generation stops taking communion altogether for 30 years across the globe, it may not pick up again. So when you just come to church, and think, what value is coming to me, coming to church? This is God's bride. So we are continuing something God wanted us to do. When we do the baptisms or we do communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say that many things that we need to do in remembrance of him. So if you did it that today, that's a good thing because it's going into the future as well, and God says, do not fear. Human beings are fearful. We are fearful, and even if we get over our fears, then we have kids and have a whole bunch of new set of fears, or are we changed stations of life and have a whole bunch of new set of fears. Fear is very common among us, and unless God's word speaks and his spirit moves to drive it out, it's just going to be our reality for most of us. When he calls us sheep, it's somewhat of a compliment. And sh- I have sheep. They're just not that smart. And they run a lot. They, as soon as they hear something, they take off because running is their best defense. Humans can run as well. As soon as we're in a situation that's a little bit difficult or doesn't feel comfortable, we want to run because we're afraid. And God is saying, do not fear. I am with you. Then there's a neat promise that Haggai makes to this group. You know, he knows they're looking at this temple. They're thinking, okay, at its best, it's not going to be anything like what we had before. It's a sad story altogether. He says, look, I will fill this temple with glory, and the glory of the latter temple is going to be greater than the first. So there's a future promise that even though it looks a lot smaller, There's more glory coming, and we'll talk about that um, a little bit later. But this little thing that they're doing, there's a scripture verse that says, don't despise the day of small things, or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The human doesn't see things as they really are unless God shows them. That's just the way it is. You just cannot see it because the kingdom of God has an invisible component to it. And if you see it and try to measure it and quantify it according to the world's terms, you just can't get it. It's like trying to find out how tall you are by standing on a bathroom scale. It just doesn't measure that. And so we need the prophets to speak to us to remind us of what's real. And one of the other things he says to Haggai is this people, this nation is unclean. So, er, so is every work of their hands. One of the things the prophet reminds us of is that we are sinful. And in the last week, if you just sat here and rolled back, um, put on the screen, like let's imagine uh, one of us gets picked every week and our thoughts and actions and words from the whole week are just up here. And we're all watching going... All right, raise your hand when it's sin. I mean, imagine that. We are, we are capable of great things, and then the next minute we are capable of saying things or thinking things or doing things that are just sinful. Without God, we're stuck in that. This culture that we're in now, I love it, but it's less and less forgiving than ever. If you make one mistake, that's what you're remembered for. I mean, we just, that's what we do. Um, We remember somebody for a mistake they made 15, 20 years ago, and they can't get out of it. Some of you guys were at Thanksgiving, and you're with your siblings. And even if you're an adult, you're with them, and they remember something you did when you were 13. It's like, oh, gosh, yeah, I did that. Right? It's just brought up. We're going to mess up. Without Christ, we're stuck because we are unclean. We're not just unclean, but we are unclean. So that's the beauty of communion. And then the, uh, the last thing he says that I picked up on was um, at the end of Haggai, he says, I will make you Zerubbabel, who's a real person, a signet ring, for I have chosen you. I don't know how Zerubbabel felt about himself. He might have felt guilty for the way he did. He might have had a bad temper. I don't know. Maybe he snapped at people. Maybe he wasn't perfect. Maybe the stress got to him of all the expectations of of starting this work. We don't know how he was. We don't get to ask his wife how he really acted or his kids. But I can bet you he wasn't perfect. And yet God uses imperfect people to do his work. He continually works through individuals, individuals like us, even though we're imperfect, to do his work. And it's an amazing privilege to be a son of God, a a child of the king, and be able to do his work. So we're going to get to build a church together, which is really, really fun. All right. So the temple's finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is the sixth year of the reign of King Darius, then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house with joy. So the way the calendars work, um, we know this was March 12th, 516 BC. It's pretty cool that we can know which day in March it was, but they can go back and figure that out. Why were they joyful, it says? They, They... They uh, celebrated the dedication of this house with joy. Why are they joyful? Well, now they can worship in the prescribed manner. They had read the scriptures because it talks about the law of Moses. They knew they couldn't do it the correct way because they didn't have a temple. And here they have a temple. They were also joyful because God had been true about the 70 years. There was a promise that you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. That has happened, and they are back. They are back in Jerusalem And they are there they can't dispute that it's a miracle that they're there And then god has also provided the prophets. It says they they thrived underneath the teaching of the prophets Truth spoken into our lives is desperately what we need and they were getting that they had two of them two really really good ones so They had to let go of some things When they dedicated this temple, it wasn't like the first one that solomon did in that occasion, the priests are working, and I don't know if you remember, but uh, the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and it's a cloud that fills it, and it fills it so much that they can't work anymore. So imagine what that was like. If you're like an eight-year-old kid, and, and your parents say, oh, yeah, we're doing the temple today, and you're like, how long is this going to take? Um, and you're there, and these older people just talking on and on and on, and then all of a sudden a cloud comes in. And as a kid, you're seeing the glory of the Lord fill this temple. You're not bored anymore. And that happened. It didn't happen this time. They also don't have the Ark, the Ten Commandments. They don't have that. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know. They're just not there. And they also don't have a king like Solomon. Much of their understanding of um, God was tied into government because of, of the kings. And, and they don't have that. They're, there's no, they're subject to the Persians. And it doesn't seem like the Persians were as heavy-handed as the Romans, but they knew it. And so there was a, yeah, well, this isn't really, uh, they could have been that way. Instead of saying, we are getting to declare ourselves as a people of God. But it, but it was different. And one perspective that we need to have on this temple, as great as it was, in Revelation twenty-one, twenty-two, it says, "But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, and the Lamb are its temple." So, this temple's not going to be there, apparently. Um, as exciting as it was, it's not going to last because it's a precursor to God, and so in in the end times, it's not going to be there, and. John 2, and this is where I'm going to talk a little bit about the connection between like, a place of worship and the person. In John two thirteen through 19, uh, Jesus cleansed the temple. So just think about what that was like for the people working there. Most of the time, picture people picture Jesus as kind of long hair, robe, pretty laid back, blessed are the peacemakers, kids sitting on his lap, you know. His face probably didn't look that welcoming as he was kicking people out because i'm sure people said who are who do you think you are what he must have been scary cuz they cleared out something must have moved them you know of of just his look or his actions but one guy kicked a bunch of people out so imagine going to the mall and someone just kicking out Everybody in TJ Maxx, you're out. Get out. What? You know, people sneaking back in, kicking them out. The, Jesus must have looked really intense, and he talks about how the zeal for your house consumed me. I mean, he's so passionate. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. They turn it into a marketplace. He clears it out, and they ask him, by What authority do you do this? Are, like, Are you with the police? Are you what?" Like he says, his response is, "Tear this temple down, and in three days, build it up again." which I'm sure they were were like, what? Well, his authority is gonna be the fact that he's gonna die and rise again. And in that phrase, he puts it all in proper perspective. The temple is really important to Jesus. I imagine he enjoyed getting to teach there. He enjoyed having it turned into a place of prayer again. But he puts it in perspective that it's not me. Like I'm bigger than the temple. And we need to keep that in mind. We'll, as a church, we've talked about isn't, there's an either-or nature in some of our logic. And it's like, well, the church is either the people or it's the building. And sometimes, in order to offset an error of thinking, we swing to too far to the other side. And by that, I mean um, we really want to make an emph- emphasis, one of our core beliefs as a church is in the priesthood of all believers. So you all are more important than a building. But we have learned that the place you meet is important. Okay? So it's not either or. And I love the evangelical tradition, but like we swung way too functional on like just space, just art, architecture, all went out the window. We just maximized square footage and get everyone in a chair. And we lost some of that awe of creating a space. And so we have that chance to maybe move more towards the middle and not either or. We're still all about all of us being the real church, but the church building matters. It really does matter. And the place you create, God has set up following him as primarily an indoor religion. If you think about it the temple the churches most of that's happening indoors now a lot of what we're going to build is going to make the most of the outdoors as well but it is an indoor thing and one of the reasons is it kind of focuses you it brings your mind in and focuses you on the lord and so we're going to do our best to create a space that helps you do that and the other thing to remember is that um, in first corinthians it talks about do you not know that you're a temple so each one of you, as a Jesus follower, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I've been in um, some pretty cool cathedrals in Europe. And when you walk around one, you, you whisper. I don't know if you guys, anyone's been in one of those. But you feel like you should be quiet and respectful of the place. Well, I need to be more respectful of the person in line in front of me in Walmart than I was in that building because potentially that's a Jesus follower who is a temple far more important than any building that I'm gonna get into. Do you see yourself and those believers around you as temples, temples, places where God indwells? Would we treat people differently if we really saw either they were temples or had the potential to be temples? Just think about that as you go forward. All right, well, um, let me just check the time. All right, we're going to wrap up here. Um, I'm just going to pray for us. And as you're, uh, as you're thinking about what um, going forward, what it means for you into next year, what it means for you to be part of our church uh, next year, I'm going to pray that we'll have that proper balance um, between the, the building we're building and the people that we are. And um, I'll just ask you to join with me in that. Lord, I, I thank you for these examples of the scripture. I thank you for the examples of the prophets who came and spoke truth. And I pray that you would help us to be a people of the truth. Help us to see things as they are in your eyes. And we need help to do it. We need your word, we need prophets to help teach us, and we need your Holy Spirit working in us, Lord. We have sin that blocks us. We have um, wrong thinking that is in our minds, Lord, and we want, we come here to worship you. Through communion, we are confessing that we are not perfect. We have sinned and you needed to die on the cross to pay for our sin. Lord, we need to come to faith in you and we know it. So I pray for each one of us that today we would renew our faith and if there are those of us in the room who have not come to faith, that today would be the day that they would accept you as a Savior and payment for our sins and the one that we need to follow, Lord. That's the truth. That's what's real. Lord, as we move into this next season for our group, I pray that you would help us to have a godly perspective on the building, that we would have joy at the privilege of being able to create a worship space, And that we would anticipate what it's like to be in that space worshiping you. And that we would celebrate being a people of God, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.